Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. When we're talking about gut health, What's normal and what's not? What about probiotics? Should you be taking those? What even are prebiotics? Should you get tested for food sensitivities or follow an elimination diet? There's so much confusion around gut health and what to do when you suspect you might have an issue that I wanted to bring one of my favorite gut health dietitians onto the podcast to answer these questions and more. Amanda Sauceda is a pizza-loving registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in mindfulness and gut health. She quickly realized that gut health goes beyond the gut. It is also about honoring our gut feelings. She's the creator of The Mindful Gut, which uses science and strategy to help people improve their gut health. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. Hello, Amanda. I am so excited to have you on to chat all things gut health today. Um, Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So thank you for having me. So my name is Amanda. I'm a registered dietitian and legit got into this field for one reason and one reason only. And that's because I love talking about food and knew I would never get tired of it. And was like, oh, I can get paid to do this. That was how I chose my career. No joke. And that was back in high school. I knew I wanted to do this since junior year of high school. And that was originally how I decided to become a dietitian after, you know, some major surprise that there's chemistry involved. Cause I thought, what does chemistry have to do anything with food? Um, <laughs> you know, after that initial shock, uh, I, I still fell in love with it. Gut health came later. Um, so gut health came actually much later after I became a dietitian. I, you know, I had some personal gut health issues like digestion issues and then family members did. And the more I started talking about it, the more I realized so many people, you know, had digestion concerns and that's kind of how gut health kind of came about later on. So that's just like me in a very quick snapshot. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I also wish someone had told me there was going to be so much chemistry, but more specifically so much math involved Mm. in becoming a dietitian. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. No one preps you for that. No one tells you that you're like one class away from having a minor in chemistry. I was not prepared. Yeah. You're one class away from pre-med as well. It's, it's Mm -hmm. one chemistry course short of the pre-med course load. You know, the nice thing is we then get to go on and take nutritional biochem and that's where it all kind of ties together. And you're like, oh, this is what I need to know. Everything just like, oh, okay, that makes sense now. Yeah, but <laughs> there's a, like during that whole process of going through schooling, the first three years are like, why am I studying this? Why am I learning this? And then mm-hmm. in the final year is where it's like, oh, now it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I am like organic chemistry. Why do I need this? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where do we get started with okay. the basics? Um, yeah. You know, a, a topic I know is is near and dear to your heart and that you talk about often, even though it's yeah. a topic that most people don't talk about often. And I am talking about poop. So yes. What's normal? What's not when we're talking about poop? I think, A, first of all, it's normal to look and we all do it. I think that would be for, first, if I gave any advice, is to take a look. Um, some of us get really weirded out about it. We don't think about it. I mean, you know, when you're a baby, that's probably when there was some emphasis on what your poops look like. Uh, what is normal? Ideally, what you're looking for is that I know people can't see my background right now because on Zoom, but I have a, a background of some very beautiful looking brown pretzels. So kind of like a very beautiful brown color is the ideal situation color wise. And then you're going to also be looking for consistency. So another C, you got color, then you have consistency. With consistency, you kind of want something nice and smooth, very easy to pass, you know, um, minimal cracks on the surface. You don't want like tons of like lumpiness. Uh, that's not that's not ideal. So very smooth, uh, kind of like a sausage, that beautiful brown color. And then you want it to be nice and well informed. So think of, um, I hope this isn't a horrible visual for people, but you know, when you're getting soft serve ice cream and it just kind of naturally comes out, you want it a little bit more thicker than that. You don't want it where it just kind of when you flush and it just disintegrates, that's not ideal either. That's the vibe you're looking for. And then, you know, have it kind of just naturally just, you know, slowly sink down to this, uh, you know, end of the bowl. Um, That's really, you know, what you're looking for. And then how often, I guess, is a whole other question maybe, but, you know, ideally you want to be pooping on the daily. Yeah. You know, that's a question that I get pretty often is should it sink or should it float? (laughs) So sink is really optimal. I think, you know, when, when it floats, there might be too much fat in it that you're not breaking down. Exactly. So, you know, sometimes you're going to have poops that float or sometimes you're going to have poops that sink. You don't want it to be floating all the time because then you might start to be, you know, concerning with the, the fat that we just that you just mentioned. It can also happen too if you're just a little gassy. You know, some of that can kind of make your poop float. But yeah, floating all the time isn't the ideal situation. But you know, every once in a while, it, it happens, and whatever, we just move on. Yeah, you talked about color, and I I do always remind folks before they incorporate something like beets into their diet that our food also can impact the color. And you'll see that 
immediately, you know, it's a pretty, pretty good indication of how fast your transit time is from yeah. the time that you ate something. And now you're seeing the color in the toilet bowl. Um, but that's totally natural, right? That's just completely natural. So the pigments that you naturally find in food, like beets, you'll, you'll see pop up again, you know, a day later or later that day, depending how quickly it's moving through your gut. So it's kind of a fun test to do. Actually, if you want to see how fast food is moving through your body, moving through your digestive system, you know, whip up a a beet smoothie or just roast some beets and, and see what happens. And it doesn't even have to be like natural food, like beets, it could be food coloring. So if you're eating a bunch of licorice or back in the day for Halloween, I think it was like Burger King who had black colored buns and people were freaking out because their poop was black and black's never a color you want to see unless it's because you're eating something like that. Yeah. There's an Italian pasta that's made with squid ink. And that, oh, yeah. that will do it every time too. And so it's always, you know, if you're seeing a funky color, it's important to go back and ask yourself, what did I eat yesterday? Yeah. Don't totally freak out and a ask yourself, like, what have I, what have I eaten? Because, um, yeah, it's yeah, probably start, something food. If you start turning to Dr. Google and asking, why is my poop red or oh, why gosh. is my poop black? Like, you're going to think you have cancer. You're, you know, it's just... I mean, death is going to happen within like five minutes. (laughs) That's kind of how Dr. Google makes you feel. Absolutely. You know, while we're on the topic of food and seeing the effects of food on your stool, what about like seeing undigested food in your stool? That, so mm, there could be a, a benign issue and then there could also be an issue where you'd want to investigate further. So kind of a benign, like no, no biggie type of issue is let's say you had a corn or let's say you had maybe like a lot of celery and you're seeing a lot of strings or you're eating a lot of whole flaxseed. You might start seeing some of that, uh, little pieces of it in your stool. The whole thing's not going to look like that, but you'll probably see some pieces and that's not really a big deal. A lot of those foods have a lot of insoluble fiber and that type of fiber we aren't really able to digest, which is why you kind of sometimes see it pass in the same way you ate it. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing in, in a certain respect because insoluble fiber does help to add weight to your poop, making it easier to pass. So it's not necessarily bad. Um, but if you are seeing like larger pieces of your food more often than not, that's not ideal because something's, something's going up higher in the digestive tract where you're not breaking that down. And we should be breaking down the majority of the food that you're eating. So if you do see undigested food, that's something you want to start investigating further. Yeah. I find too, if people are seeing undigested food in their stool, they're like so quick to jump on. Well, I should start taking a digestive enzyme, you Uh, know, and often often that's not the case. Often they're not chewing or they're oh eating too fast. Talk about chewing about all the time. Chewing is literally, literally the first step in digestion. And it's the one we have the most control over and the one we most often overlook as being so critical for good gut health. So many of us are fast chewers, whether we're intentionally doing it or not. And if you're not chewing your food well, you're 
not setting your gut up for some, you're, you're making it work overtime and it doesn't need to work overtime. Um, it already got enough going on. So yes, chewing is absolutely important and being, bringing that mindfulness is, is where it can really come in and impact your gut health. Yeah. I think people are surprised when they ask me what my tips for gut health are. And I start with slow down and chew, <laughs> you know, yes. Don't scroll, don't scroll and chew. Okay, I, I probably did that right before this talk, but I, you know, it, it happy. You don't want it to happen all the time, scrolling and chewing. Yeah, absolutely. So I was poking around on your website a little bit, just you know, looking at some of your programs and doing some research for this episode, and and you have to tell me what are your poop flashcards? Oh my god. Did I, I was like trying to think like, when, when was the last time I've talked about that? I think I had, I, I think there's a couple posts that I've done on poop. Um, what's, you know, like what to look for. I think I even did like an Instagram post on like color and clarity, kind of like when you think of a diamond and you're mm-hmm. looking for cut and clarity, <laughs> there's also some things you want to look at for poop. Um, and I did have, when I was seeing people one-on-one, I had this car that I would show people to look at, which is essentially like the Bristol stool chart for, so for those that are unfamiliar, um, the Bristol stool chart is seven different types of poops that we can have, and it can be really helpful tool. Um, And this is not something I made up. This is totally like a legit thing. This is not, you know, a, a random thing that I created, but this Bristol stool chart gives us seven different pictures or looks to what poop can be. And this can be really helpful. That's another why, like just taking a look at what's going on, because you can use this tool and be like, and take that to your doctor, take that to your GI doctor, take that to your dietitian and explain, you know, this, I'm having like type six or type one. Um, and they'll have an, a really good idea of what that looks like and a really great starting point for a conversation about your health. Yeah, I'm just going to come out and ask you this because I know I have mm-hmm. been on the receiving end. Do clients or random strangers on Instagram <laughs> sometimes send you pictures of their poop? I have never gotten a random one. I, I'm lucky, I guess, because that's not something ideally, it's kind of like a dick pic. You don't really uh, want that, you know, uh, you're not really asking for that. So uh, no, I haven't, but I've definitely seen pictures of my clients for sure. Yeah. It's a little surprising, even when you are in your client message platform, just to be like, whoa, like <laughs> you're not <that's>, expecting that. <laughs> not expecting that. I've actually, I've never gotten an unsolicited poop pick on Instagram. I've gotten period blood, like yeah. pant- panties or toilet paper. I've oh gotten, I am like, sorry for you. Cause that's not something you want to close ups of, of acne or, you know, pictures of mucus sometimes too, mm. which, you know, if we have a client relationship and you want me to, totally. you know, I'm, I'm not yeah. understanding what you're trying to explain. A visual can be super helpful. I, I have my clients send me pictures of their ovulation tests all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, their temperature charts all the time, but yeah, it's that, it's that unsolicited part of the It's, it's the unsolicited and you not being a client, um, but both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I find, you know, visuals like that, that you can use in practice yeah. are so helpful or even 
Mm-hmm. you know, sort of a questionnaire where you're asking all the questions so they don't have to feel uncomfortable when they're bringing mm-hmm. up topics that they're not usually talking about. I'm thinking, you know, in particular, yeah. one of the reasons why I loved my New York City mm-hmm. um, gynecologist is because she just had this sort of rapid fire question round where all you would have to say is yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And it just made it, it made it easier knowing that, you know, she was going to follow up with follow-up questions on anything that I, you know, responded in a concerning way to, but I didn't have to bring up anything uncomfortable. I mean, I think it's also helpful just to normalize that we all do this and that it can be really insightful about what's going on in your health. That's why I think like step one is just taking a look every so often to see see what's going on. Yeah. So again, if if any of you are interested, it's called the Bristol Stool Chart. It's B-R-I-S-T-O-L. And um, you can go ahead and Google it and the pictures will pop right up um, and you can get Mm -hmm. familiar with with where yours tends to fall on the scale. There's some really fun ones that have used chocolate. Have you seen them? I have. (laughs) Candy. Make make like Bristol Stool Chart cakes and stuff. Yeah, but I mean, it's funny because I I do use it in the gut health module of my mm-hmm. course, and um, yeah, know, I get I get a lot of folks who are like so proud when they have the perfect type four. You know, it's like oh yeah, yeah. just like wow, <laughs> I'm so proud of my go body. You know, like, great job. <laughs> so you know, talking about what's mm-hmm. normal and what's not, I find when I'm talking to clients, especially you know, and sort of asking those follow-up questions about something that they've put on their intake form. Sometimes, you know, because we're not talking about these things with people often, you know, with girlfriends, we may talk period stuff, but like, we're we're still generally not talking poop stuff with our girlfriends um, or gut symptom stuff, unless it's like really obvious, like we all know which friend is lactose intolerant, you know, (laughs) um, but you know, we sort of become used to Mm -hmm. symptoms that are common for us or occur frequently for us. And they're, you know, for us, they feel normal, but -hmm. they may actually be a red flag that something is going on. What are some of those like gut symptoms? I got a lot of questions when I asked about gut health, about yeah. gas, about gas, and like how much mm-hmm. gas is too much, and you know, yeah. should you have no gas? Like, what's the goal with gas? That's a gas goal. I think I need to make that an Instagram post. Now that <laughs> I was like, that just like it's a it's a perfect rhyming situation. There's two things you want to look for, and this can be applied to pretty much any concern. Um, so it's a really good way to to starting point to generalize. If you're having anything with persistence and pain. Um, persistence and pain, I think is the best indicator to like kind of red flag or yellow flag, like caution, let's investigate, you know, especially the more often and the more painful it is, that's when it starts to really turn into a bigger red flag, need to dig deeper. So this especially can be applied to gas, the the more often you're having, especially with gas, if it's painful, where it's really feeling like trapped, and you can't really pass it, that's more of a problem when it comes with, with gassiness. 
I will say everybody has gas, like that's just a natural thing that happens. So, but if you're able to pass it, it's not a big deal. It's not like super, super smelly all the time. Granted, there will be situations like eating um, a lot of broccoli, eating a lot of cauliflower, things like that. Um, you might notice a change with like scent and uh, persistence. And, and that's not really an, a bad thing per se, because these are, uh, I was going to say fruits, these are not fruits. <laughs> these are vegetables that naturally can make people a little bit gassy. Um, but if you're finding that you can't really pass it, uh, it feels trapped, you know, it's so uncomfortable even to eat a little bit of it. Those are signs that you really want to dig deeper. And yeah, so that persistence and pain, you can really apply to other digestive symptoms. So even if you're not pooping on the, like very often, um, so the absence of persistence, maybe that's a good one for pooping, the absence of it, you know, if you're not pooping every ideally three days, that's still kind of a stretch. Um, everyone does a little bit of a normal, but the, that rule of three is a good starting point. I'm, I'm kind of zigzagging a little bit, but yeah, persistence and pain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like you said, that kind of applies to any gut symptoms. So everybody has heartburn once in a while, or maybe yeah. there's a particular food that triggers heartburn mm -hmm. or reflux for you mm -hmm. when it's happening every day, yeah. you know, or it's, it's been a long time and it's happening consistently. That's when you might want to start doing some deeper digging. Another kind of piggybacking off of what you said, another kind of clue that you might want to start digging more, start talking to you know, a professional about it. If you notice you're starting to get scared with eating food because you're mm. not sure, you know, if you start to notice um, some hesitancies that were never used to be there. And sometimes you might be past that stage without even realizing it. So if you take a look at your diet and you notice that you whittled it down quite a bit and you have quite a few things that are like, oh no, I can't eat that. That can also be very much a red flag that you need to dig deeper. You don't want to have fear around food. And if you're starting to notice that, that can also be a sign. Yeah, that's a really good segue. I think a lot of folks get into the mindset of blaming the food, you know, and removing the food and then find that keep you removing know, and, and removing need to remove another food <laughs> yeah. and mm -hmm. you know by the time they actually reach out to someone they're down to chicken and rice yeah and it's a slippery slope because it can happen so gradually that you don't even realize what's happening and that can actually be worse for gut mm -hmm. health in the long mm -hmm. run because yeah you're not getting the variety of nutrients mm -hmm. that you need to start healing your gut. Yeah. And gut health is so much more than like drink bone broth and you're good to go. Like that's so much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, in, in my course on PCOS, we talk about gut health because it does, mm -hmm. it does impact hormonal health and, mm -hmm. you know, it is something that's very common in the PCOS population. Um, mm -hmm. but it's really just an overview because it's, really complicated. There are multiple steps to addressing gut issues. Um, so one of, you know, along the lines of restricting foods and cutting foods out and getting to that point, there are, you know, valid scientific 
elimination diets, um, yeah. such as low FODMAP. And I believe you were at the same conference I was where I mm-hmm. actually saw one of the um, researchers uh, give a talk about low FODMAP. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it was intended to be used for the very short term. Um, it is restrictive. It takes out a lot of foods. It's supposed to be done under the guidance of a registered dietitian. And actually the most important part is the challenge phase when you're oh, yeah. adding, yeah, yeah. You're adding the foods back and seeing mm-hmm. how you do, because, you know, no dietitian wants you to be on a restrictive diet for the rest of your life. Um, Nobody. And if they do, that's a red flag, <laughs> run away. <laughs> yeah. The goal is always to eat the broadest diet possible, the closest diet to what you're used to eating, you know, and really focus on that variety because that's ultimately what impacts mm-hmm. gut health. Do you see that with people treating? I, I see a lot of like people treating low FODMAP, like it's a lifestyle. Yes. Yes. And like ditto to everything you just said, low FODMAP was never designed to be a lifelong thing. Like, oh, I just, I can't do that. I do low FODMAP. No, Uh, the second part to an elimination diet. And if this is like any elimination diet, whether that's low FODMAP or some other form of an elimination diet is always should always be followed by some type of reintroduction. So you go through this challenge phase where you start to learn what is your personal tolerance. Everyone's gut is going to be different. So yeah, you might be like, oh, garlic, which is high, high in FODMAP, you know, might be a trigger for you. But you're like, if I have maybe like a clove in my sauce that I'm making or whatever, you know, I'm fine. Or you might notice that it's maybe it isn't a food that really works for you in any amount, but that's the, that's the part you need to discover. And that is the part that no, you know, test can tell you, nobody can tell you what your, your personal tolerance is. And, And that's really where the magic starts to come in. And after you've worked on your gut, you you might start to notice like, Oh, you know, this, this is totally fine for me. This is great. I can, I can do this. Or you might notice uh, this is something I need to be mindful of. So I don't have blah, blah, blah symptom, or, you know, maybe I absolutely love garlic. I think I had a client once who had, I think it was like garlic edamame. I can't remember what it was. And, um, she could do garlic, but not that much garlic. Cause it was so good. Like her edamame and she, had a little bit of digestive discomfort afterwards, but it was worth it. And she knew exactly the reason, you know, why it turned out that way. Um, so that, that power of knowing comes from when you start to do that reintroduction and challenge. Yeah. My, my husband has ulcerative colitis. I don't know if you knew that. And we did it, uh, four years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I kind of did it in solidarity, although, you know, my, my gut health wasn't great after all the stress of going back to school and, and all of that. So I was like, you know, and I do most of the shopping and cooking. So it just made sense for both of us to do it. And it was really interesting. And it really did help identify some of the triggers for him where, you know, I could easily eat four cups of broccoli and be just fine. And for him, you know, a half cup really is the upper limit on broccoli for him Mm -hmm. or, you know, same thing with, with legumes. I can eat lentil soup all day, but for him, a couple tablespoons on a salad is all I'll give him. And I think 
you know, it's not just the foods themselves. It's how they're prepared too. Like, how prepared. like you said, mm-hmm. like sauteed onions in a sauce seems to be fine, but raw onions are a no-go. Yeah. So looking at, and, and that's where that reintroduction comes in. So it's not just like, oh, I tried it and I can never eat it again. You know, I, I put in, you have to try it in different ways. And this is, this is why I think it gets so kind of um, hair pulling in a sense. It's because it's also not just your individual meal. You have to take a look at how you entered into that meal and what other foods you had that day. It might not just be, maybe you tried garlic or onions that day and you're like, oh, it, it didn't work and it's never going to. Maybe you had a lot of other things that day that just didn't work with the, how you you know prepared it. So it's like that stacking that can also come into play. So kind of like when you're introducing foods to a toddler and you have to, you don't just give them a slice of banana and they, you know, throw it at you. You're like, oh, this kid's never going to eat banana. No, you, you, you mash it up. You put, a, I don't know, peanut butter on it, or you, you keep offering it to them in different ways. And with a good attitude, you don't come in it thinking, oh no, if I, cause if they'll sense it, right. They'll sense if you're not into it and they'll feed off that energy, you still feed off of energy as well. And so approaching it in different ways, just, just like you would feed a young child. Yeah. Patience is absolutely part of the process. Patience and curiosity, you know, approaching Mm -hmm. it, like I tell people to approach it, like they're doing a science experiment. Exactly. I say the same exact thing. Exactly. Come in with a hypothesis and see if it works. I love that you mentioned the cumulative effect of foods that we eat over the course of the day too. You know, if you, you know, ate something, you know, it all, Mm -hmm. it all adds up. And I, I see that, that a lot with those folks who are like, I wake up and my belly's flat. And then by the time I go to bed, I look nine months pregnant. Yeah. It's, it's again, yeah. Like you said, that the cumulative and not just food too. keep in mind, kind of bringing it back, circling back a little bit. You said chewing, it's not just what you're eating, but it's also how you're eating. So were you chewing the food? This is where you bring that mindfulness back in. Were you scrolling? So maybe you were super stressed because you're reading some news article that made you mad. And then you're eating your lunch at the same time. And now your body is not in digest mode. It's like, what is going on? We need to address this, you know, sudden spike in anxiety that you're having. So truly also looking at your environment and your mood and the, the, the way that you're eating, it really all works together. Yeah. I had a client once, it's kind of an interesting story where, um, she, you know, was a, a business owner, kind of a business mogul. And, um, she had a chef who would prepare her meals oh, wow. for the week. And so she was eating the same meals for, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, and gosh. he would just... But, but yeah, like, like prep it. Yeah. He would prep it for her. And then the mm-hmm. next week it would be a different meal. And, um, mm-hmm. what was interesting was, you know, on, on the day that she worked from home and she didn't have many meetings, she had no digestive issues, but on the day when she was in the office and stressed to the max, she had yeah. massive digestive issues that day. And she, like, that was a big light bulb moment for her where, she, mm-hmm. where she realized like, it's not about the food because I'm eating the same food I ate yesterday. Ah, uh, see that that's that's such a powerful moment. And even myself, I'll like underestimate how much my body 
sometimes my body knows what's going on before I'm aware of it, before I'm, I, I, I truly understand. And your body, your body knows. It kind of reminds me of that book. The body keeps score. Like it, it, it's very much aware, even though if you're not like cognitively aware of that. I'll have to look that book up. I haven't, haven't read that one. Yeah. I was going to say the way, the way it kind of plays out in my own life is Mm -hmm. I give myself an hour for lunch every day. Does it take me an hour to eat my lunch? Absolutely not. But it takes Mm -hmm. me a good half hour to get into a place where my stomach feels relaxed enough to take in the meal. Because if I, if I try to force it, if I'm like, you know, yeah. eating eating on the go and shoving yeah. something in my face, like right before a meeting, guarantee I will have a stomach ache the rest of the day. Yeah. People don't realize you need to truly be in that rest and digest mode. And if you're not like blood flow gets shunted away from your digestive system. So yeah, it makes sense why you, you're feeling a lot of discomfort afterwards when you're eating and you were forcing it or you were super stressed or, you know, you just weren't really present with your meal. Yeah. So on that topic, I want to ask another thing I get asked all the time, food sensitivity tests. Um, I, and I, I get a lot of folks who, you know, come in and they've had one of those online tests that you can order yourself and on Groupon. Yeah. On Groupon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they come in with this long list of foods and, you know, and maybe they had it mm-hmm. done a couple years ago mm-hmm. and they've been avoiding all of these foods since they had that done. Yeah. Never want to do that. Let's just uh, put down the paper, (laughs) put down the paper. So first of all, those tests, the majority of the tests that you see out there, the very vast majority uh, aren't really going to be of much service to you. Oftentimes they're testing IgG sensitivities or what they're calling sensitivities. And that's not necessarily an accurate marker that you have an issue with that food. Another problem with that is kind of that list of foods that they give you like, okay, for example, let's say they on that list, you couldn't eat oranges. So you swap it out with apples because apples wasn't on your list, but they didn't test apples. So maybe apples is a problem and you just don't know about it. So you really don't have a good grasp on what to do. That's, and they don't tell you the foods that are not of an issue. So that's kind of a, a problem. A big problem, actually, with a lot of them. The other thing, too, is your body changes. It, it changes often. So when you did that test a year ago or four years ago, however long ago, might not necessarily be reflective of what's going on in your body today. So that's another issue. And then it also goes back to that point of where is that reintroduction? These were these tests, which I wish they would tell you, A, first of all, don't you know bother if you haven't already. They don't, you know, tell you like, this isn't something you should avoid forever. And that again, goes back to that red flag that we mentioned, there needs to be some type of reintroduction. Yeah. It also goes back to what you were talking about before that if you do do work, actual work on improving your gut health, your tolerance can go up. So yeah, yeah, some of these foods that may have mm-hmm. been flagged, you know, Mm-hmm. are no no longer a problem for you. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, that, that tolerance increases and yeah, maybe it is an issue, but like probably not because you're not going to be eating oranges all day. You know? <laughs> so yeah, you're, you're good. So really um, those aren't the best tools to use. Yeah, I think you're right though about that. Like 
you know, trying to use these tests without an expert to guide you, you know, and tell you what's real, what's really up. And, you know, the example that you used, for example, if, if you mm-hmm. react to oranges and you swap in apples, well, you've now replaced a lower FODMAP food with a higher FODMAP food, which might actually be worsening your symptoms. And I, mm-hmm. you know, I think in particular with the the FODMAP diet, it's, it's really, it's not intuitive. It's not like, no, you don't you look know, at the food and be like, Ooh, I know. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and, and it, some yeah. of it just makes no sense. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, I look at a pineapple and that's a tropical fruit. And it's low FODMAP, but mango, which is another tropical fruit is high FODMAP, you know? <laughs> yeah. There, there's, it doesn't seem like, I feel like there's a rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. So it really helps when you have someone who can kind of mm-hmm. guide you around what, if anything, to do yeah. with the results of these tests. But I think the other problem with IgG tests in particular is that there's such a high percentage of false positives. Yeah. And so you're might be, you know, excluding something that really was never an issue to begin with. Yeah. So if somebody feels like the food is a problem um, Mm -hmm. and these IgG tests are are BS, then Mm -hmm. how can they how can they figure out whether a food is actually a problem for them or not? The best place to start in which you could do like today. So if there, if, if you're the person that is like, I, I you know, I know food's an issue. I, I don't know what those foods are, but I, I know, uh, the best place to start, it really is a food and mood diary, like a food and mood journal, however you want to call it. That is really going to help bring some awareness to what you're eating. And it'll help enable you to start finding some patterns because that's, that's the gold, right? having the, okay, the great, I have this information. What do I do with this information? And this is where working with somebody who, who does this can be really helpful. More often than not, this is not going to be a doctor. This is going to be a, a dietitian who will take the time to help look over this you know journal with you and start point, you know, pulling patterns out like, Oh, I'm noticing when you do, you know, keep repeating this and this amount, that's when you start to have issues. So keeping a journal of what you're eating, when you're eating, also writing down, you know, symptoms that you're having, when you're having it can be really helpful to, to start building a, it just builds that awareness and B now you have data to go back to, to start to evaluate because nobody remembers what they ate, but your, your journal will remember. Yeah. I tell people, you know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy, just like no. the notes app in your phone. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, relatively recently, I had a good example of this on myself where yeah. I, I know I'm allergic to casein. Um, mm. You know, I can't have cow's milk. I can get away with butter, like, cause there's practically no, no. protein yeah. in butter. It's just the fat and it doesn't cause symptoms. But for a really long time, I had kind of convinced myself that mm-hmm. that goat cheese is okay. Cause it's a different form of casein, you know? Yeah. And, um, so, but you know, I do, I jot down if anything like really disturbing okay. happens in my life. Yeah. And after three episodes of that, the thing that I had eaten the night before was pizza with goat cheese and pesto. Mm. I was like, Sorry. damn it. Like <laughs> I, I, I can feel the, the sadness from here. Like, I, yeah, 
thought I could get away with it. And uh, yeah. yeah, the journal doesn't lie, you know? Yeah. But it is important what you were mentioning about working with a dietitian to help you analyze those results of the journal, mm-hmm. because we look at food from so many different angles and we may be looking at a food mm-hmm. from a context that you're not, you know, for example, I have a lot of folks cut out dairy as a category. I want to know, is it the lactose? Is it the casein? Like yeah. which part it? of the dairy are you reacting mm-hmm. to? You know, if it is the whole thing, then yeah, you have to cut the category. And I'm very sad for you because I'm very sad for me. But, you know, if somebody sees, oh, beets are a problem or spinach is a problem, like they may may not know where to go from there, but Mm -hmm. we would instantly make the connection. Like these are high oxalate foods, you know, Mm -hmm. bring in that expertise because they're doing this, you know, day in, day out and give you better, like just better vision, you know, of of what to look for and what to expect. Hey there, remember those tampon commercials featuring young, flexible girls cartwheeling in white bikinis on a beach or riding a bicycle, or maybe the most offensive of all actually smiling and laughing during their periods? I'm sorry, but that has never been what my period was like. I was bleeding through super tampons and needed a backup pad. I had cramps so bad I needed prescription ibuprofen, pre-period killer migraines, that one monthly cystic pimple that would pop up on one side of my chin. And just when that was finally healing over, one would pop up on the other side. I didn't feel like leaving my couch or my apartment, let alone frolicking on a beach with friends. And to make it worse, I was having symptoms around ovulation, after ovulation, and during my period. So I always felt like I had only one good week out of every month. Well, I have news for you. (laughs) It did get better. I mean, I'm not exactly jumping for joy on the first day of my period, but I'm able to be out and about in public, barely have any cramps, and if I do, they only last a few hours. No more period zits, no more heavy bleeding or clots, no more migraines. How did I do it? Well, that took some digging into my root causes. And the good news is, if you struggle with PMS, PMDD, endometriosis, fibroids, painful ovulation, heavy bleeding, or killer cramps, or just have horrendous periods in general, I can help you do it too. I'm launching a brand new program, the Period Problems Root Cause Roadmap. There will be different tiers of the program available. You can get access to just the content or you can opt for the VIP upgrade and get access to root cause testing with me in addition to the content. The VIP tier is limited to 10 and is only available in the US. So what do you think? Are you ready to let me help you get rid of your period problems once and for all? Go to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash period RCR to learn more and enroll. We start March 15th. I am super excited about this new program and I hope you are too. I can't wait to help you gain back three weeks out of every month. All right, back to the episode.
One other connection that I notice is the connection between gut imbalances and skin conditions. Do you see this a lot too? Yeah, I did see. I, I saw it a lot. Um, skin, like gut and skin was was never like the main reason people would come to see me. It was always kind of a side reason, <laughs> like a side benefit that they kind of noticed. But yeah, I did see, you know, like eczema kind of improve a bit. I would sometimes see acne improve a bit. So there definitely is a, a gut and skin connection. And in fact, I just did an Instagram live, I think it was like last week. Um, with acne nutritionists and she was talking about, you know, gut acne. So that she, you know, is like, was a wealth of information on, on what to look for, but there definitely is a connection. Yeah. I, I see that as well, you know, because our gut is technically a detox organ. It's responsible for getting the junk out. And so if our gut is not working properly, uh, those toxins have to find another way. Yeah. And we don't often think of our skin as a detox organ, but it it is an avenue of detox. Totally. Totally. So yeah, there, there definitely is a connection. It's just, it's fascinating when you, when you look at gut health, kind of this, there's a hormone connection, there's a skin connection and it just emphasizes how important that your body doesn't work in isolation. You know, all these things really work together. Yeah, in particular with the the gut and hormone connection, I see, you know, gut inflammation can lead to high beta-glucuronidase, which can lead to higher estrogen levels or improper estrogen detox. And so it all kind of ties together. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, that the skin isn't the primary thing that brings Mm -hmm. people into your offices. So what kind of um, conditions or symptoms are bringing people in to work with you? So before COVID, <laughs> before COVID, when I had a physical office um, right by the beach, it was beautiful. I would primarily be working with people who had like irritable bowel syndrome, who knew they had food sensitivities, needed to figure that out. That was who I was working with. Um, since COVID, I've kind of switched a bit and and this is based off of the work that I was doing, you know, um, with the food sensitivities, the more I worked with it, the more I realized one of the hardest things, one of the hardest things when you're working with gut health is consistency, consistency with keeping up these gut healthy habits, consistency with bringing that awareness to how you're eating. And when people got off that consistency, they started to notice things and like, oh, I, I know what to do, but how do I do this? And how do I, you know, make it part of my life? That is where I spend more of my time now, which is nice because it, I think this is really the thing that keeps the train going is, is keeping up that knowledge that you've gained and making it work for you now for, you know, whatever life stage you're currently in. Yeah. I recently did a post uh, last week on things to focus on when you're in survival mode. Cause I feel like so many of us are, are in survival mode these days and consistency is really key to everything yeah. when it comes to health. It, it is. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's where I work. And now and that's kind of how I created that, um, that the mindful gut, that's where that came from. Yeah. I remember, um, I was trying to get my little cousin to go see you because she was in California. She's a 
an RN who was having some issues. And I was like, you need to go see Amanda. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I know my office was so cute too. <laughs> talk about, you just brought up your mindful gut approach. Can you talk about the five prongs of your treatment yeah. approach? Yeah. So what, like I was saying, when I was working with people um, and it's like, okay, now what I feel better now, what, how do I keep this going? That's where the mindful gut came. And that was the five kind of prongs or pillars were pulled from the five most common things I think can be really helpful with keeping up that consistency. So the first one is trusting your gut. Uh, second, or there's really no specific order, but trust your gut, eating with intention, kitchen competence, which is my favorite part. And then um, rest and recharge as well as, um, oh my gosh, why am I blinking all of a sudden? <laughs> like, I've got it. I've got it. I'm, purpose. Purpose. purpose over perfection. Thank you. That one I always forget about maybe because I'm secretly a perfectionist. I don't know. But yeah, so these are the five kind of pillars to developing your version of the mindful gut, knowing that no one's gut is going to be the same. Everyone has different digestion. Everyone will have a different microbiome and everyone has different life experiences that have shaped their gut instinct or their gut feelings. All three of those combined, no one's, you know, what works for me might not work for you and vice versa. So, you know, that's freeing knowing that there's no set diet that I need to follow for the rest of my life. There's no set exclusion of foods that I can never eat. While that's freeing, it can also be very confusing because you can now, how do I, I need some type of guidance. What, what does that look like? And that's where this mindful gut approach comes in. If you start focusing in on these five pillars, you can start to develop what your version of good gut health means for you. Yeah, isn't that true? And we have so many options to choose from. Um, some of us tend to be more paralyzed than when we have yeah. a sort of straightforward path right? to follow. Yeah. I'm the worst in a restaurant where I can eat everything on the menu. It's just, you know, take take me to a cheese store and I'm like, <laughs> you know, don't have that many options. But if I'm at a place where everything is game, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Mm -hmm. that's when you start asking people like, what did you do? What did you do? And then that's where it can, you start to get all this information and then you start doing those things and it may work and it may not. And that's not right or wrong. It's just what works for you. Yeah. There are a lot of myths around gut health and what works for gut health and what doesn't. Um, you kind of mentioned bone broth before and it's like, yeah, sure. You know, bone broth, yeah. as nutrients that can be helpful for yeah. healing a gut, you know, the gut lining, but it's not a magic bullet. No. And to be honest, there's no magic bullet for anything for gut. And I imagine you would say the same for hormone health. Yeah. I think, you know, the other important piece and, you know, do you use the five R process in your practice or teach that sort of the step before the consistency part, right? Right. Um, Pre-COVID, yeah, that was kind of the approach. I was taking that, that 5R protocol very much so. There, and, and that's the thing too, like even the 5Rs don't necessarily have to go in a specific order. Sometimes there's one thing that you need to emphasize more of at a, at a particular time. But yeah, there's definitely foods out there like bone broth. Um, I don't know. Bone broth always comes in my head or collagen or, um, you know, other things that, yeah, they're great. They're good. They definitely have benefits, but it's not going to be the thing 
that, you know, makes you better. The probiotic is not going to be the thing, you know? Yeah, I think also like the the place they come in the protocol where where that gut heal and seal the gut up kind of part comes in, that's assuming you already did the work to get rid right. of any bad yeah. guys, increase mm-hmm. the good guys, and mm-hmm. then seal the gut. So I see, you know, people maybe feel temporarily better by implementing some of these things, but the yeah. underlying issue is still there. And it'll pop up again. And then you're like, oh, it didn't work. Well, not necessarily. It's because that foundational stuff, you know, of wasn't addressed. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about prebiotics, probiotics? I think there's um, postbiotics if you want to. I think there's a lot of confusion out there about, you know, should everybody Mm -hmm. be taking a probiotic? Should people be taking prebiotics or fiber supplements? I, so my approach is always going to be food first because food comes in a package that you can't replicate in a pill that you can't replicate in a supplement. Supplements definitely do have a place and they can be very helpful for people, but it's just that it should just be a, a supplement in addition. It shouldn't be the thing. So when it comes to probiotics, this is live bacteria that, you know, will have some benefit for your gut You can get this primarily from fermented foods. So you're looking like if you look at your yogurt container, if it says live active cultures, you know, there's definitely going to be some probiotic in there, but you can also take a supplement and supplements will be more targeted. So you're going to be looking at, you know, the amount, the strain, and this is also going to be dictated by like why you're, what's the purpose of, of this probiotic supplement is it skin? Is it bell regularity? Is it, you know, what, whatever it happens to be, that is actually going to be the reason why you pick whichever probiotic you do. And ideally this is best done again with, you know, a dietitian who can provide some of that guidance to you. But generally speaking, you know, fermented foods are going to be that great place to get, you know, a food source of probiotics. And then you have prebiotics. So prebiotics are going to be a little different. Prebiotics are actually going to be food for your gut bacteria. So it's, it's not live bacteria. It's just going to be feeding that bacteria that we all naturally have living there. So prebiotics are more often than not going to be source different types of fibers. So like last week on Instagram, um, I was talking about oats and how oats have a specific, you know, type of fiber that can be prebiotic. There's other, you know, foods, interestingly enough, garlic and onions, which are high in FODMAPs also are prebiotic foods. Another reason why you don't necessarily want to just eliminate things like uh, garlic and onions because they're high FODMAP. Well, they also happen to be prebiotic foods, which are good for your gut. So that that's kind of a a little summary of, of, of what to expect. Yeah, a lot of those high FODMAP foods are, they're fermentable and there's a lot of overlap between what's fermentable with things that are prebiotic. So yeah, um, things like, you know, chicory and insulin, mm-hmm. inulin. Rather. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> it's not yeah. insulin, inulin. I see yeah. a lot of folks taking like I, I call them like the grocery store protein powders and mm-hmm. having kind of gut issues after eating those. And yeah, like those are loaded with chicory and inulin, which are fermentable. So 
yeah, if your gut's not a problem gut, that's not going to be a problem for you. One other one, and I, I asked, actually asked, added this to my intake form because oh, uh-huh. I noticed it was happening during a session with me one time. And I was like, I need to start asking people this question, sugar alcohols. So I asked, yeah. do you chew gum regularly mm-hmm. on my intake form now? Because yeah. I saw a client chewing gum and we're struggling to figure out where where her gut issues, where her gas is coming from. And I'm like, she chews gum all day long, every day. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a sneaky one. So again, not just food, but it could be like things like gum or sugar, you know, sugar-free candy, mouthwash. maybe you're sucking on like a candy mouthwash. And also think too, like the gum and just like taking in that air. So because I also teach, and I usually I try to eat right before my class because if I don't eat, then I'm like, all I can think about is food while I'm teaching and I'm not even teaching because all I can think about is my lunch. So sometimes I have to eat kind of quickly before my class. And I'll notice even when I'm talking and I'm just taking in that air, I'll notice, oh, I feel like I got a burp, you know, um, it's not because of my lunch, it's because how I ate and because now I'm taking a lot of airs I'm speaking. So yeah, sugar alcohols uh, can definitely be a thing, especially the gum chewing because now you got the sugar alcohol on top of like the taking in the air. Yeah. yeah. I also think, you know, when people are following low carb diets or even, you know, the population I work with where they mm-hmm. might see something like a wrap that's low carb mm-hmm. in the grocery store and think that might be a good thing to try. And then it's- yeah full of those, you know, fermentable fibers and sugar alcohols, or like when people are popping those no sugar protein bars or ice creams, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and the, the sheer amount of sugar alcohols in a pint of one of those ice creams is like more than you should ever, ever have. And I'm just, sometimes it's worth it just to do like things. The real thing that's the, not, yeah, yeah, you know, like this person must spend all day in the bathroom. <laughs> Uncomfortable. I think I saw a review once for on Amazon of like a sugar-free candy and someone put that in their review of like, this is going to make you poop. Like you are going to be in the bathroom. Well, was that the gummy bears? The well, I think it might have been. I feel like it was a popular like thing that was, was going around. It was. It's the Amazon reviews of the sugar-free Haribo gummy bears. It is hilarious. <laughs> if you ever want to laugh, like, yeah, go read those reviews. I mean, but like people are blaming like the candy company. <laughs> no, it's it's the sugar-free thing that they use. Oh my god, yeah, that's for for a laugh uh, after listening to this podcast. Go check that out. <laughs> yeah, so if, if people people don't know what sugar alcohols are, can can you give like a one minute, one second description? Of what it is? Uh, so um, I'm trying to think of like a good one one second description of of a sugar alcohol. It's just not your natural sugar. It's a man made sugar. So when you look at gum, if you see it end in ol, like uh, erythritol or um, xylitol. You know, that's your clue. This is going back to OCHEM, actually going back to organic chemistry. There's a specific reason why it ends in OL. You know, it's, it's signaling that this is a sugar alcohol and it's not metabolized by the body. It passes through. Um, and as a result, because our body can't break it down, that's why they're saying, you know, it's sugar free, but oh, it can come with uh, some unpleasant side effects. 
Yeah. And not everybody has, you know, the enzyme in particular for sorbitol. Most people don't have the enzyme to break that one down. Like, like I literally can't do even one piece of gum like that, you Mm. know, to freshen my breath. I would, I, which is why I carry around mints when I'm at conferences and things like that. And you can find natural Mm-hmm. mints that are made with sugar and not sugar alcohols, but they are kind of hard to find. Um, yeah, weirdly. Trader Joe's used to have a couple good ones like at the cash register, but I haven't seen them recently. So I love, you know, one of, first of all, I freaking love your Instagram account and I've been <laughs> telling you. you this for years. And if anybody <laughs> doesn't follow you, they absolutely should. One other thing I noticed when I was on your website, you know, besides yeah. the fact that we share a web designer, which is great. Yes. I love Jess. Yeah. She's the best. And honestly, I think I first discovered her through Kim Rose. Um, so it's all like Word. a little, yeah. you know, circle of happy dietitian clients. Right. But I love that you include your core values on the website. You know, and I started doing that and you're actually the first person that I've had on this podcast thus far who I have seen also include that on your website. You know, and the reason why I added mine was because I think more and more people do care about the values Mm -hmm. of the people they work with and the businesses that they work with. And when you're a service-based business, like ours, we kind of, our values are our business values. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they are. I'm trying to remember adding that values was something I did recently, actually not that long ago, maybe a couple months ago. And I'm trying to remember who I got that from. Cause that was not something I intuitively thought, like, I want to put my values here. I want to a figure out what my values are and put them down, but you're, you are really right with saying that a lot of my personal values are the same values that are reflected of how my business is. Yeah, I know. I personally have made, you know, some buying decisions or decided not to work with companies or brands that don't align with my values. I think it's important. And I just wanted to say, I thought that was great because I haven't seen it on anyone else's. Although I, I do believe like I first got the idea, probably some from some business podcasts I had been listening to. And yeah, I can't remember her name. Her, I remember her Instagram handle, like Dietitian Values. I think I did a webinar with her. I believe she lives in Australia, but I think I did a, a class with her about, about values. I think that's where I might have gotten it from to start, you know, digging into that. Also, values can just be really helpful with good gut health. Like, why, if you ever notice, like, this doesn't feel right to me. Um, don't ignore those gut feelings because it might be going against a certain value that you hold. Uh, so that's, you know, just a little kind of side piece of how I think gut health and values are related. I kind of wanted to talk to you about gut is one area where you can spend a lot of money doing all the things. Like you can, you can get oh my a dual test, yeah. Yeah. you can get food sensitivity testing, you can do food allergy testing. Yeah. And sometimes skip going to a gastroenterologist. Yes. I think some of the, especially if you have that persistence and pain, you know, and if that's the main reason why you're digging into this, you're 
first step should always be a doctor and a dietitian can never replace a, a GI. We are not trained um, for, you know, medical uh, concerns. And especially if that persistence and pain is a main reason you're exploring gut health, truly start with a doctor. Yeah, there are so many, you know, structural issues like hiatal hernia or, you know, other, often when I'm working with someone and they have gut symptoms, I still have so many unanswered questions. It's like, well, do they have peristalsis? Is there, you know, is there, yeah. is the food passing too slowly out of their stomach? Do they have a hernia? Do they have some sort of, you know, colon issue? Um, I would say one, you know, you sort of mentioned it before, but you never want your stool to be black or red because mm -hmm. that implies, you know, what? Yeah. So, so if it's black, that implies that there can definitely be some bleeding and that's old blood that has changed color now. So there could be some bleeding higher up in the GI tract. If it's red and you didn't eat beets and, you know, you didn't, oh, oh also if it's black and you're taking an iron pill, um, that's usually because of the iron pill and it's just like natural, you know, not something to worry about with red. If you see like fresh blood and you, it's not because you ate beets, it's because there's some bleeding, you know, maybe there's like a hemorrhoid that you don't feel that you were unaware of that could cause some of that bleeding. Also, I, I kind of want to mention too, this was something I wasn't really aware of until I shared an office with this person when I had my first office pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm. I just want to shout that out that in addition to, you know, having a GI exploring a GI explore seeing, especially if you like constipation related concerns, uh, seeing a, a physical therapist who specializes in the pelvic floor can be a really great addition to your team because there can actually be proper. I talk about a little bit like proper pooping position, but they can take proper pooping position to a whole other level and really help guide and figure out if there's like pelvic floor issues. Again, we aren't trained, you know, in that it might not be food. Maybe it's a pelvic floor concern. So I want to, I, I just thought of that when you were talking about it, I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. Or a vagal nerve issue too, you know, especially if it's constipation and nothing seems to help. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I had a PCOS client that I worked with and, you know, my programs are three months and, you know, we had worked together. We had done some gut work on her. We had, we had sort of done all of the things she was feeling great or PCOS was feeling better. And about a year later, she reached out to me because she had had a case of food poisoning. And ever since her skin was breaking out, and she's like, I don't yeah. know, you know, I don't know what to do. This, mm -hmm. you know, really started right after I had that bout of food poisoning and I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, come back in we'll do stool testing on you. We'll see if there's anything, you know, really wacky in there. And I can't even, I, you know, honestly, I can't remember now which, which bacteria it was. I think it was, it was like the common cold bacteria, whatever, you know, and it, it was just like off the charts high. But the really interesting, so we picked that up that it's like, oh, you've got like active infection somewhere going on. Yeah. There is blood on the stool test uh, mm. and, you know, occult blood. So, you, you mm. know, it wasn't like obvious in yeah. the toilet. And that's when she said to me something that she hadn't put on her original intake form, which was, 
oh yeah, my dad has colon cancer and Uh my grandfather had colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you need to go like Mm -hmm. right now to a GI doc and figure out why you're bleeding. And they did, they found precancerous polyps and she was, Mm -hmm. you know, in her early thirties. So well before you would receive a colonoscopy for screening purposes. And so now, yeah, you know, now she feels more empowered because they can just, you know, zip out the yeah. the polyps and, you know, we'll yeah. start doing yearly colonoscopies now to keep an eye mm-hmm. on it. Yeah, it's scary. It, it is scary. And colon cancer is on the rise, especially with younger people. And I don't think we know quite yet, you know, what's going on, but yes, I, my, not my dad, but my grandfather had colon cancer. And so, you know, it's definitely um, something to think about and keep in mind family history can play a role. Yeah. Family history. And it's, you know, not necessarily tied to diet. There's, um, you know, there's a condition that overlaps with endometrial cancer called Lynch syndrome that, oh, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. yeah, where colon cancer and um, endometrial cancer are common manifestations of that condition that runs in families. Anyway, we've kind of digressed quite a little bit. So why don't you tell the audience uh, where yeah. they can find you? Yeah. So Instagram, like Melissa was saying, is, is the best way. So my handle is at guthealth.nutritionist.com is the place I'm most present on. Um, so you'll see posts different, you know, I, I do a lot of different posts. So like this week I'm doing more like gut health and mental health. Um, and I'll sometimes do Instagram live. So I had like a couple, you know, different save talking about gut and skin. So if that was interesting, you can check that out. But, oh, and if you ever uh, want some guidance too on how to keep a food and mood journal, uh, like I said, it could just be a piece of paper. I do have like a template that you can use to get you started. So that's another good place to go. And I'm sure Melissa will have, you know, that link for you and uh, give you some guidance on, on how and what to start recording. And you can start, you know, bringing some awareness. And even if you don't have food sensitivities and you just want to bring some awareness to how you're eating and how food and moods affecting your just general gut health, it's also a, a great place to start. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And yes, I will drop the um, link into the show notes. So you all can go grab that wonderful freebie. Just so exciting. I always like to wrap up with what's one thing you would want people who are listening to this episode to take away from this episode about gut health? The one thing that I'd love more people to take away is to eat more variety. I think that's one of the biggest and hardest things to do because we get stuck in eating the same things and that's very much me. Like I'm still very much part of that camp because you grew up with it because it's easy because you know what to do with it. So an easy tip is the next time you're at the grocery store, pick up a new something, a new fruit, a new vegetable, a new seasoning that counts and uh, find something to make with it. Find a, a way to make with that. And that, you know, I think can be a really powerful first, second, third, anytime step or improving your gut. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, when I'm sitting down to write my grocery list for the week, I will put down the same things every week. I'll put tomatoes and cucumbers and lettuce and avocados. And like, as for like dinner vegetables, like 
you know, I'll think of broccoli and zucchini mm-hmm. and maybe occasionally I'll be like, oh, we haven't had green beans in a while. But I would never sit there and say, you know, I'm going to get some endive this week. You know, no, I don't think I've ever said that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the that's the thing is we get so used to, you know, eating a certain way and it's not bad. It's just there's room to expand the palate. So always, you know, try to approach it with curiosity, pretend you're like we were saying that, you know, doing a science experiment, you, this can even be your science experiment and trying this out in a, a new way, break out that air fryer you got for Christmas or instant pot. Like, Oh my God, I love my instant pot. So yeah, just trying something new. Yeah. I think, you know, walking around the produce section or um, a farmer's market is one of my other favorites. Yeah. Try something new. That was how I fell in love with those purple daikon radishes. So they're so good. Those yeah. are my faves. I have watermelon radishes in my fridge right now, but you know, things you would never think to try like mm-hmm. kiwi berries have been a fun find mm-hmm. in the grocery store. You may not like it. You may not buy it again, but yeah. Why not and if you're it? unsure, you know, if you're like, oh, I love apples, like pick up a different variety of the apple. Like it can be that simple to start. If you're just like, I'm you know, I, I don't like trying a lot of new things. If that's not your thing, try something you do like in a different way. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip. I love that. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Amanda, for joining us this week. Thank this you. has been an awesome conversation and I hope that the audience enjoyed learning about gut health. Thank you to the audience and we will be back next week with a new episode. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode, and in the meantime, stay balanced.